You know, you can't help as a parent, and I know it's crazy to say this, but you can't help but think, where did I go wrong? Why would I not have noticed this? Mm-hmm. You know, and I've actually torn myself over, you know, over this totally right to this day. For sure. You know, I go through all the things that over the years that Ryan and I went through and I thought, how, how did I not see this? And it wasn't that I didn't want to see it or that I didn't know what was going on in Swift Current because I sure did. Yeah. But I don't know. He hit it. He was pro. He hit everything very well. Is there anyone out there? From Darkness to Life contains the real stories of individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to ourcollectivejourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey. Good day and welcome to another episode of From Darkness to Life on Our Collective Journey podcast here at the Plugged In Media Network studio. Um, Today's a pretty cool day, I think. I'm here with my good buddy Ryan that we all know so well. Hello, Rick. Hi. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. I haven't seen you all day. No, it's not like we've been together all day, but... (laughs) We'll pretend for the sake of the listeners. Absolutely. And who do we have here today? This is so crazy, right? Who would I ever thought in a million years we'd be sitting in this studio with the guests we have today? Yeah, this is, you know, for all of the, <laughs> for all of the guests that we've had, I think this might be the most interesting. Uh-huh. Um, we are, we are here today with my mother, Paula. Hello. Hi. Hi, Paula. <laughs> Hi, Ryan. Hi, Paula. <laughs> Hi. And Ryan's mom, Linda. Hello. So we thought it would be pretty cool. Um, we get a lot of people reaching out um, to, to the different social medias and stuff um, that are looking for advice on how to support either a child or a spouse. And uh, I think for all the different perspectives from professionals and addicts and, and alcoholics, uh, we, we haven't ever had a mom's perspective. No. Never. No. Which is weird, right? We try to have such a diverse group of people come on here and somehow we've always missed this demographic. Yeah. These two poor ladies that watch the dumpster fire that our lives turned into. (laughs) I'm sure they've got some opinions on it. (laughs) So. Crickets. How are you ladies today? Well, I know we're not supposed to say fine. Someone listens to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So I would say a little apprehensive, although I think this will be fun. Yeah. You promise, Ryan, that uh, within 15 minutes, I'll feel comfortable is what I hear. Absolutely, yeah. So there you yeah. go. Eventually, for anyone who has never sat in these chairs before, eventually the headphones kind of disappear, the microphone in your face kind of disappears, and you just end up sitting and looking at the other people in the studio and having a conversation, and that's the coolest part of this. Yeah. Miss mm-hmm. Linda? hold you to that. Absolutely, you sure okay. can. Yeah. <clears throat> How are you feeling today, Mom? A little nervous. Yeah? Yeah. Actually, a lot nervous. I couldn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> Just relax. I'm sure you've heard all of our bullshit over the years, so there's nothing new that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess we can get started. Um, you know, I think these are, again, two people that don't need to hear our story over again. They kind of got to witness it and live it. And uh, what was that like? You know, I guess I'll start with you. You know, what uh, what would you like to talk about this episode? What would you like to bring to light as far as your perspective on what it was like having to deal with me, this guy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my Lord. Was, you are a strong woman. <laughs> it was wonderfully challenging. Um, and I would say that uh, in, in uh, dealing with this parent's basically want to protect their children. So you start out by stopping them from running across the street <laughs> or from falling off the highest monkey bar, because that's typically where Rick was. <laughs> and then you watch them grow up and you have to slowly give them reins and set them out there and you see them making mistakes. Mm-hmm. You don't always stop them because that's how they learn. Even though bigger mistakes are pretty hurtful sometimes, yeah. that you yourself has, you know, that's my job to get over that. So, wow. Yeah. What do you think about that? Mother? Oh, I totally agree with her. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with her. 
I just, every mother has the best intentions for her children. Mm -hmm. There's no Mm -hmm. doubt about it. Mm -hmm. And I think when you, it wasn't that I was blind to what was happening. I honestly truly didn't know that that's what was happening. I really didn't. I mean, I just suffered through my husband's death. And that's when I, it it was hard. It was really hard. Yeah. And uh, I had a few suspicions. Ryan never ever took his sunglasses off. He never came to the house. I always had to meet him outside of the house for coffee. But I never, ever thought that he was going to, he was doing what he was doing. Yeah. I really didn't. I mean, Ryan and I had a pretty close relationship all our lives. And I just. Totally. You know, you can't help as a parent, and I know it's crazy to say this, but you can't help but think, where did I go wrong? Why would I not have noticed this? Mm-hmm. You know, and I've actually torn myself over, you know, over this totally right to this day. For sure. You know, I go through all the things that over the years that Ryan and I went through, and I thought, how, how did I not see this? And it wasn't that I didn't want to see it or that I didn't know what was going on in Swift Current because I sure did. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know. He hit it. He was pro. He hit everything very well. Well, and I think that's one thing that we've, we talk about all the time, right? The common thread in our stories is our stories are different, but oh my goodness, we are so much alike, right? And the people that we come across nowadays, the people that we help, any kind of individual struggling with addiction, we're all good at that piece, hiding it, right? And manipulating and showing you the cards we want you to see. And don't worry about me. I'm doing great, even though I'm a complete disaster, but I'm not going to show you that. And I think that's what you're getting at. It's... We're not here. That's the biggest thing I want to get across today is we're not here to lay blame or point no. fingers at anybody, no, right? No. Not at all. Absolutely not. We were amazing at hiding our addiction for a while. For sure. I mean, I don't think, you know, I, I, we've had enough conversations that I'm pretty sure that, you know, you don't hold any, you, 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 I think we've tried to articulate as best we can that like nobody's to blame for how this washed out. Right. For I sure. mean, mm-hmm. you know, absolutely. There's genetic predispositions there's environment you know you can have that debate all day right yeah. but at the end of the day this is how i'm wired yeah this is how you're wired right and uh and we, we you know we we do talk a lot to to parents and supports in the community you know who are reaching out for somebody else and it's like listen man until until your son daughter <clears throat> spouse whatever until they recognize that there's an issue and until they're willing to do something about it there's nothing you can do. Like, and it's, it, I can't even imagine how hard it is to watch that train wreck in slow motion. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, you can't love somebody enough to get them to stop until they want to stop. Right. Yeah. And we were, uh, we got the opportunity to speak at the college this morning, actually, Ryan and I, and that was one thing I emphasized there is, um, you know, I think in society, especially as parents potentially, cause now, you know, I've got my kids and I'm watching this kind of play out. And, you know, and I hold a lot of resentment to myself because I glorified that lifestyle for so many years. And now I'm trying to undo that for my kids, right? And just show them the consequence and the weight of some of those decisions. But I think we live in a society now that we're so cautious and we try so hard to save people like six inches from their rock bottom, right? And and it's almost a disservice. And I've seen it in the recovery community enough times that, you know, we, we keep saving people from six inches from bottom. And, and so that pain never gets bad enough that they're willing to do what they need to do to really concede to this. Right. For sure. Yeah. And I hear that all the time too. And and there's another side of that coin, right? There's the other argument that, and I see it on social media lots and I see it in the professional world that you don't need to get to your bottom. Let's raise people's bottoms and save them that pain. And that might work for some people, but through our experience. I'm a stubborn asshole, right? <laughs> You're going to ride that right to the end. Mom, mom, how many times did you try to tell me the path I was on? <laughs> right? Well, a few. And <laughs> I think too, though, that um, there is some, at some point, a parent has to give up the responsibility of protecting their child to the child mm-hmm. who is now an adult and say, you know, just to save my own soul or the soul of the parent, um, you have to give that away to them, and it also gives them the freedom then to save themselves or mm-hmm. to find help, you know, because you don't, you can't talk them into it, that's for sure. Yeah. For one thing, I think one of the reasons you can't talk them in, into it is because their mind is not listening mm-hmm. at that time. Isn't that yep. the truth? That is true. Well, even mm-hmm. if you know you're talking about a teenage brain, let mm-hmm. alone a teenage brain on booze and drugs. Like yeah, you're, you're exactly. not getting through to that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think one of the things that really interested me about the different podcasts that you guys have had is 
um, the feelings that you hold when you get into your addictions are feelings of, you know, I'm not good enough and how can I make it in this world? And for Mm -hmm. the men, Ryan, you've talked a lot about that macho image that you have to maintain. And I find it interesting that all of those things are exactly the same feelings that everybody has. Yeah. And what is it that turns that switch to alcohol and and drugs as opposed to fighting your way through it? Yeah. At that point, you know, before all the train wreck, like mm-hmm. you said. Mm-hmm. What a cool thought. And there are a lot of people that can take that other route, right? That that do fight through it and do find their way to whatever they're headed towards without the path that you and I took, Rick. But <clears throat> for me, and I know you spoke about it this morning, right? It, there was nothing that would work faster for me to feel normal or to feel like I fit in or whatever those feelings of inadequacy were at the time than alcohol. Once I found that and I, I recognized early on that <clears throat> that was acceptable in the circles I was in, that was what helped me fit in with the older guys I played hockey with, all these different things. And nothing would work faster than that. So once I started using that, that was just my go-to mechanism and I was good at it. And yeah, drinking helped me fit in with everybody in any circle I was at. For sure. It took away all of those. It took away all the self-doubt, right? Mm-hmm. That voice that you're not enough, you're you're not cool enough, right? And, and even if it was, you know, maybe it didn't take it away. Maybe it just silenced yeah. it for a little bit, right? Toned it down, down enough that, that it wasn't, blaring in my head but it uh i still remember my first my first drunk right i don't necessarily remember my first drink but i remember my first drunk and uh and it was amazing right like you know it was it was like a warm comforting blanket of just (laughs) which is shitty it's terrible right but that's how it felt was like ah where has this been right all of this all of this discomfort that i felt just went away Mm mm-hmm and it was like, I want more of that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know what sparks that spark yeah. in, in me and Ryan or, or, you know, the normies and I'm using air quotes there. Right. I don't know what, maybe that is the biological piece. Maybe that is the genetic disposition. I you know, maybe that is the wiring, but, um, it is what it is. Right. And, and there's nothing like there's nothing that would have stopped it from happening. Right. Uh, Aside from complete abstinence forever, which I wouldn't have known I had a problem unless like, you know, you you can't solve. Had I known where that path would have led me. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't even know that I would have changed it. Honestly, like I agree. You know, I still might've went, well, maybe it can't happen to me. Right. That happens to other people. You know, especially, and I know we have like, you know, that, kind of common thread we've joked about it lots how similar our our fathers were and how similar our mothers were and mm-hmm. and uh you know and 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 maybe that's it because i've talked about it you know you've talked about it i'll never be like my dad was yeah. and i seen that and i projected that and and uh being able to recognize that at young ages i did and, and you know thinking that i could do it thinking that i could drink and you know and it was this weird co- complex thing i think in the brain chemistry of a kid trying to be you know your your dad right your dad's the coolest most invincible guy there is but at the same time having a lot of resentment for the guy you know and and, you know i know we've both processed our way through it to the point now that you know we both love and appreciate our fathers and you know all our resentments washed away and nobody needs to hold any issue with that right but um it's it's interesting that complexity of trying to be somebody so badly that you also simultaneously don't want to be mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter like how it it's bizarre it's how you end up there baffling, right? yeah even even with you know the little bit of knowledge and self-awareness that i have now i don't know how that worked it's yeah crazy well we can phone up some psychologists after and they can give you some information yeah, yeah for sure yeah. i'm sure there's a couple books written about there's it probably a few out there just <laughs> dying to get their hands on you <laughs> <laughs> Take a team of them working around the clock to crack this egg. Eh? Absolutely. I know that reminds me when I was in treatment the second time, it's 40 below in the middle end of February. Right. And there's three of us and we're out walking on this road out in the back 40 at the treatment center. And we got t-shirts wrapped around our heads and scarves and whatnot. And this counselor pulls up in his van and it's cold. 
And he's like, are you fucking crazy? And I'm like, nope, just got out of the psych ward. Team of psychiatrists figured it. I am not crazy. <laughs> I got a piece of paper that says yep, <laughs> not crazy. We will let you go. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, talking about that and talking about our dads and whatnot, right? You're right. There was a time where I wanted to be just like him. And there was also a time when I resented him. And those would flip flop all the time, right from the time I was, I can remember 12 years old up to 35 years old. <clears throat> but it, it is, it isn't about blaming anybody now. It's not about poor me and, oh, I wish things were different. And it's about looking and, and you and I have talked about this lots, right? It's about our parents did the best they could with what they had. Right. And, and they were a product of their generations before them and whatnot. And I know for my dad, the way I was brought up with, you know, in the house with my dad, it was, uh, I thought in all intents and purposes, it was normal. I had no idea that drinking all the time and this and that and fights and violence and wasn't a normal thing, but that's what I grew up around. And that's what I wanted to be like. I emulated him all the time from fighting on the ice and hockey to drinking all the time to fighting in bars and you name it. Right. And <clears throat> I look back now and it's, it's not a slight against him by any means. It's just what he knew and what he was brought up with and whatnot. And that's how I was brought up. And yeah, it's a wild concept to look back and think about all these things that we took for granted at the time or just thought they were normal. And now we go back and explore them and it's like, Hmm, this is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think that one of the coolest gifts that I think I got in sobriety is, you know, I've, I've, my father's been gone for, well, what, 12 years now. And, uh, how much every year I get older, how much more respect I have for a guy that I thought at some point I hated. Yeah. Right. Maybe not hated. That's pretty, that's a pretty hard word. That's but pretty black and white. Yeah. You know, definitely had some resentment towards you. anyway. Yeah. You know, and, and like you said, right, that ebbed and flowed. We had good days and we had bad days. And half of that's like, like I said, I got three teenage boys. You know, there's definitely days that I think they're assholes today. Right. And we don't get along. And I'm but, sure they think you're an asshole. hundred <laughs> percent. Right. <laughs> but, um, it's, it's, it's pretty wild how, you know, the, the older I get, the more. The smarter, and I think I've said that to you, right? The older I get, the smarter you guys become. Absolutely, and I've been waiting. You know, because as as that as that kid growing up, you think you got all the answers, you think you know right from wrong, but it's like, man, you don't know shit yet, right? And and uh, all the I told you so is that you know I think my parents could have given me that they've been kind enough not to throw in my face. But, uh, it's, it's amazing how, how right they were so many of the times, right? Well, you know, in the same vein, we were on a learning curve during our bringing you guys up as well. So it's not like we knew any, everything and we made plenty of mistakes and had plenty of times when we were just like, darn tired. Yeah. I Don't want to talk about it, yeah. you know? And so... As we, as we knew a little bit more when you were teenagers and we see you going down these paths, we th it's the whole balance thing that you guys talked about in your parent podcast about, do I let them fail? Do I protect them this time? And you continue to do that. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yep. And I think it goes back to what you said earlier, Paula, about when do we step back and start letting them find their own way and learning their own lessons and... And, uh, I think that's a huge piece and a huge piece that I know being a parent myself that I struggle with. And I have an older son who struggled with substance abuse and he's turned a corner on it now, but I know as well as anyone else that can go sideways at any moment if you don't keep doing the work that got you there today. But I, I went through the same stuff where, you know, I was waiting for those phone calls and waiting for the police to show up or just not too sure. And I knew you know, in my experience, I had him come live with me for a couple months here and there over the years and thought that'll help. Well, no, <laughs> that didn't fix anything, right? That just actually enabled him to become better at manipulating and lying to me. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to overlook, you know, all those faults and I wanted to put my faith in him and trust him and all these things, right? But I, mm -hmm. I recognized the hard way that, yeah, he's, and I think I should have known it from my own experience, but I'm like, no, nah, I think I can really help him. And 
what you said earlier, Rick, is so true that you have to almost step back and wait for the pain to get overwhelming enough that they want to make the change themselves because that's where it had to go with him and eventually it got there and it was terrifying, but. That's, that's a hard step to take. Yeah. That's really hard to step back and let your kids, when you can see what it's, you know, mm-hmm. as a parent, that's. But I know it's something that should, has to be done, but there's a heck of a lot of us that, you know, don't. Yeah. To well, the degree that it should be. Well, and I think too that um, the timing on that is interesting because yeah. do you do that at late teenage years or do you protect them and hover over them until they're in their 20s and 30s and 40s and then they're a disaster? Yeah. You know, and it's so. almost too late, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. Like I look at my grandson and I worry about him every day, mm-hmm. you know, especially after what this has been through and I just, yeah. But I agree with Ryan. He's trying to do this on his own. So far, he's done a good job. But you know yeah. what? As much as I love him, I can't help but think the bottom's going to fall out one of these days. I know it is. Yeah. Because you can't go without getting that help. You just can't. Mm-hmm. And you know what's interesting when you say about watching and waiting for the yeah. bottom to fall out? After, uh, uh, I wouldn't say a lifetime, but, you know, 10 years of watching your child yeah. When they're at in the alcohol and drug business, um, coming to you and knowing you're only getting half truths, and mm-hmm. yep. of course the other half of that is lies, and uh, then to get over, will I ever feel really confident in their sobriety? Yep. You know, that takes work as well. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you know, I can honestly say I do have that confidence <coughs> now. Yeah, you know, about how many years was it? That's the thing. So I just right. hope down the road, you mm-hmm. know, that I can, I can have that confidence in Jess too. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah, because I, I know even like with you, Mom, I still get, I still get the phone call. Like, you know, are you still going to meetings? Are you still yeah. doing what you need to do? Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm like, Mom, I'm good. Right. But, yeah. uh, but I, and part of me wants to be like, Mom, I got like, stop. I'm 40 years old. Like yeah. you don't need to. But then I'm like, no, that's, she probably She's earned the right to question that because yeah. I've failed so many times, right. right? And I've been so deceptful about it and I've been, uh, sorry, deceitful. Um, you know, that, yeah, like, you know, and same thing happens with my wife to this day, right? She's still kind of, you know, something will, something will pop up and she'll start asking me questions and it's really easy for me to jump to like yeah. defending myself. Like, what more do I need to do to prove that I'm not that yeah. guy anymore, right? But then I'm, I'm. I try, I shouldn't say I am, but I try to be quick to come back to, you've earned the right to have that doubt because I've. Definitely. I've. Well, that's the penance you have to exactly. pay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is, it, it is what I've done, right? So true. And yeah. so it's not fair for me to be pissed off at somebody okay. for having a completely rational reaction to somebody who's lied to them so deeply as I have, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I know that goes back to. You know, you always talk about trying to even the scales eventually, right? There was so much chaos and whatnot and hurt and pain, and you're going to spend the rest of your life trying to even that scale back out. And if you can even it out, make it level again, great. If, you know, it's going to be a lot of work. And that dishonesty piece is part of that scale that's got that thing weighed down so much and all the stories we said and then went and did the other thing and fucked everything up. And (laughs) it's like, we're going to spend a lifetime of being honest to try to level that scale out. And this is the pieces that help us is our, is our moms holding us accountable and checking in on us. And I get that feeling all the time too. I'm like, yes, I'm still going to meetings. Yes, I'm still doing these things. And, but you're right. They've definitely earned the right. And if I look back, that was, you know, 30 years of nonsense and lying and bullshitting and all the chaos I created. So I got a little work ahead of me still to work that scale up. Well, at the, at the end of the day, I know after all the shit that we, you know, we've talked about this after all the shit that we did, when everybody in our world turned their back on us, we both ended up in the same place. And that was back on mom's couch. In her mom's basement. <laughs> 40 years old. We've talked about that. It's so funny, right? And I'm like coming out of treatment, 40 years old, big house is gone. Everything's gone. And I'm in my mom's basement at 40. It's like a scene off Cheers or something. <laughs> your mom was very happy to have you. <laughs> That's true, right? And you're right. You nailed it that if there was one constant in all that chaos, it was the support we still had from our moms, even though they were likely a little disappointed in us and pissed off at us and didn't trust it, whatever that looked like, right? 
they didn't turn our their backs on us and you know i'll be forever grateful for that and a lot of the individuals that reach out to us and deal with that we we help support don't have that luxury they don't have a family member supporting them anymore because you go down that rabbit hole long enough everybody is you push everyone away those bridges are burnt yeah yeah well, I think too that uh, as a parent, you realize that this person who's coming to you with lies and alcohol and drugs is not your real self. Mm-hmm. And so we can see who you really are. And uh, we just patiently wait <laughs> and hope. <laughs> and, and hope, yes, that you come back to yourself, yeah. which you guys are doing. Yeah. Yeah. So we're slowly getting there, we're making some headway. Proud. I'm so proud of you. I'm proud of both of you guys. I'm proud of this whole thing. Me I too. really am. It's, Me too. It's wonderful. It's it is fantastic. absolutely wonderful. Yeah. I do watch the podcast. I don't say much on them, anything. I'm coming off. <laughs> but I, I do watch them, you know, and I find them very, very interesting. Never anybody has the same thing, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things that I enjoy listening to. Mm-hmm. One of the things mostly is because every, it, it hits them all kind of the same, but yet it's different circumstances and it's just a whole different pattern. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I I guess I just don't understand how some when you say that there's some that don't have the parents or, or them behind I, I don't understand that. I just don't to this yeah, day. I agree. You know I don't understand that I, either. Yeah. I just don't. It's no. I mean it wouldn't matter to me if you were sixty years of age and went through it. I would, you know, I'd be there as I and right. it's not because I think that's my role. You know, it's because of the love that you've had with your kids as they've been growing up. Everybody takes a fall. Mm-hmm. You know, some just <laughs> fall get, a little yeah, deeper. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. For sure. So, and I think it comes down to a lot of the individuals that we support. You know, like you said, all the dynamics are different, but a lot of individuals never had that support from their family or they didn't have that family structure from day one, from the time they were born, right? They were born into chaos or an addicted lifestyle right off the bat and they didn't. We hear this all the time, like, I can't wait to get into recovery and get back to normal. And lots of people never had a normal. They That's been their normal since they were born, was mm-hmm. born into some sort of circle of chaos, abuse, whatever that was, a born addicted, born into an alcoholic family or something. They don't know any different, and they've never had the support of their parents. Not like we were fortunate enough to have your guys' support and your love. They don't know what that is. That's a foreign thing to them, right? The, the chaos and the alcoholism and the abuse, that's normal to them. And, uh, Mm -hmm. they get going down. I've dealt with so many people, you know, in my professional life now that you hear their stories of childhood and the trauma they've endured. And I can't fathom going through stuff like that. That's foreign to me. Right. And I look at my life and then I talk to my spouse who had a, had a completely different upbringing and that's foreign to me. Right. And it's just every dynamic is different. And that's where I love what we do at OCJ is, you know, meet someone where they're at because what worked for you and your story is different than everyone else. What worked for you is different. Same as me. And everybody is coming from a different place in this world. And it's wild. The stories you hear out there. Like I, I worked with a guy who was mule and drugs and his dad shot him up with heroin at five years old. Right. And mule and, or seven years old, I should say. And mule and his drugs yeah, on yeah. the way to school. Not, not five. That'd yeah. be ridiculous. <laughs> he was seven. He was seven. <laughs> but I mean, when you hear stories like that, you're like, holy shit, how grateful am I to have the upbringing I had? Yeah. It's wild. And that's why when we deal with people with addiction, we just look at them as the individual because you just never know where they're coming from. Well, and that's one thing too. Like, I think, you know, the deeper I get into this world of of substance you know and on, on the other side of it right of recovery of re- yeah recovery mm-hmm. the <laughs> deeper i get into the world of recovery the more of those theor- stories i get to hear right and mm-hmm. uh i think that's part of my growing appreciation for the environment that i did grow up in is you know and at, at 17 you know and i can see it in my kids eyes too now like you know they look at me like i'm an idiot and i don't get it and you don't know what's going on and and, you know, and I, I still remember feeling that way, talking to, you know, dad and, and, and you and, and going like, you just don't get it. And, and building that resentment about how hard my life is. Right. But having no baseline to compare it to. Right. Yeah. It was like, I think I'm under all this oppression that <laughs> in reality, it's like, man, you got a pretty good. As bad as, you know, I'm not going to lie. Like there was really shitty days growing up and, and there was, but there was good days. Right. And, totally. it, and, um, and definitely the good days outnumbered the bad, but, um, you know, compared to some of the stories that, you know, we, 
I don't know if fortunate is the right word, but you know, we get to hear like, man, it was, I got nothing to complain about. Yeah. Right. And, uh, pretty lucky mm-hmm. as I'll bad as I thought it was. I'll tell you, I think this is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger, especially after this pandemic. Yeah. You know, you look at all the homeless and you look at all the kids. I mean, people are struggling. They're mm-hmm. really struggling. So, I mean, they're it's hard. They're not going to be able to give their kids, a lot of them, what they should give them. Right. There's no doubt about that. And I just, as I see people in the streets now, and I can't help but wonder just, I mean, there's so much we don't see. And I, I'm sure there's so many that don't have a home life mm-hmm. or that have a terrible home life because of all of this. Mm-hmm. So, something like this is fantastic to hopefully get them to come out and be in the open, you know, open up about it. For sure. Because, you know, bottom line is it's the individual who has to change yeah, it is. themselves. But yeah. where do they start? Exactly. You know, and when they this didn't is, have a start. Yeah, exactly. And this is a fantastic yeah. place to start. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. It really is. Just for them to be able to tell everybody yeah. how shitty their life is, you know, and if they tell it often enough, yeah. They can see sparks of hope, perhaps. Yeah. You know? Well, I look back at my grandson getting back to that again, and I think he won't go to, he hasn't gone to any meetings, he won't go to anything, and I think that's mm-hmm. exactly, it's not that he's, I don't think he's drinking, I don't think he's doing drugs anymore, but he needs that, some sort of support. He needs that, mm-hmm. very much so. That's why I think, I pray there, I'm wrong, that there's a very good chance he's going to fall, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think looking at that and what you just said, Mom, is... <clears throat> You know, we've met enough people and we've we've talked to enough people that some people will be fortunate enough to stay on that path and make it through, but they're going to white knuckle it and it's going to be hell yeah. for a lot of days, right? Where, mm-hmm. like I take, for instance, and Amber won't mind us bringing up her name because she tells her story at will, but she's the first one to say, man, I sure wish I would have known about support groups and stuff 12 years ago or 10 years ago. I wouldn't have had to take the path of most resistance every day and and, and life wouldn't have been such a struggle, right? It, it's a lot easier when you have like-minded people with the same goals and we're just here to help people. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's fascinating. And I know I've talked to my oldest son about that lots, right? And I know I can't push it on him because it wouldn't work for me. There was lots of people pushing shit on me and it didn't work. So I know I just have to give him some suggestions. And uh, you know what? He listens to a lot of them because it might be a year or two later, but he's like, Dad, I remember you telling me this in the car one time. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to try this. And sure shit, it worked. Yeah. 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 Well, like I said, it's amazing the older I get, the smarter my parents become. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting that you say, told them in the car. Mm-hmm. I think people, parents, should really take advantage of that riding in the car yeah. with their kids, listening and talking to them then. For sure. Yeah. I agree. Road trips, I, I do agree, because that's when you open up, because yeah. so many parents do not have, or not parents, so many families do not have that supper, that quality time again, time anymore. Exactly. You sit down at the table, you have meals where you all, that was the time like Amaya when I was growing up. Right. Everybody, we all sat at the table and that's when we all talked. No TV was on nothing, right? Right. Those days are gone Mm -hmm. for most most people. Yeah. So I think it's very, it's a good place to begin is in the car. Yeah. It really is. And I know through, you know, a lot of the training that I've taken, that eliminates that, that power struggle. Because you're sitting beside somebody, you're not yeah, sitting even the physical dynamic mm-hmm. of yeah, it, right? You're not Absolutely. sitting across from them. You're yeah. not the voice of reason anymore. And I think that's the biggest piece that I learned in recovery is is, and we've talked about this lots too, the listening piece, right? Listen to understand, not listen to fix, and listen mm-hmm. to. I'm only listening to you. I already have formulated in my brain what I'm going to tell you that's going to work, and it, it, to get out of that whole mindset and just listen to see where they're at today and to understand and. You know, we do a lot of that stuff. And in my previous role, that was 90% of the work I did was riding around in a car with somebody and what called it counseling in cars, because it's just a conversation. You turn the music on and suddenly things get a lot more comfortable, yeah. right? And it's not, you're mm-hmm. not surrounded by plants and fancy lights and soft music in a, in a counselor's office, right? Where it's not very comfortable lots of times. So it's, mm-hmm. the car is beautiful. I get remember when we, done. we went to Saskatoon to, our, to a concert, Ryan and I. My other son and his girlfriend was in, going a different way. But anyways, that day, we really hadn't talked a whole, whole lot about stuff. I was we, too fucked up usually. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but we talked that day all the way to Saskatoon. And yeah. I'm telling you, I'll never forget those conversations as long as I live. It was the best trip I have ever had in my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Going there and coming back and him opening up and just feeling comfortable with me to be able to talk about it now. Yeah. You know. Well, and the was, piece that you were listening. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And sometimes when you're listening, you'll be in a room with, uh, let's say, four adults and three teenagers, and a teenager starts to talk. An adult will 
overspeak them, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and dismiss what they've got yeah. to say. And I really think you should listen to the very end, as ridiculous as you think it is, <laughs> but you just listen to the very end, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's amazing and advice, suggestion, right? Because I'm guilty of it too. You know, it doesn't matter where I am if I really got to check myself on that and focus on the listening piece because lots of times that old me, that little bit of ego will creep up and say, well, I got the best solution for that. And I'm mm-hmm. going to tell you right now. Mm-hmm. And it's not about telling people anymore. It's about listening and mm-hmm. and understanding. That's the biggest thing. And I took a communication class in the college when I was doing my addictions counseling schooling. And that was <clears throat> one of the biggest pieces I took out of that. It was like a light bulb moment, how to communicate. And it was for helping professionals, but it benefit anybody in their everyday life is how to listen for, you know, effect, how to listen for solution, not for, I'm going to fix this. We're going to listen to understand and then communicate back to somebody and have a reciprocal conversation, not just one-sided. And I'm listening to you now, Rick, but I already have what I, I'm going to say in my mind. And that's the way I used to run my whole life. Cause I knew everything. Mm-hmm. I was the smartest yeah. guy in the room. <laughs> I had the best opinion and I was going to tell you about it. Really? I thought it was Rick. <laughs> yeah, just imagine when the two of us get in a room together, the intellectual warfare that ensues. Yeah, that's wild. Well, it is one thing too, that parents tend to, like right now we're talking about, you know, how we had to maneuver our way through your teenage years and all that. And we tended to phone me when you get there and, mm-hmm. you know, sort of try and monitor your life and say, okay, this is wrong. We didn't spend enough time. I didn't spend enough time, I think, praising the good side, you know, saying, okay, you are smart without saying, so why aren't you listening to me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I had one of the coolest experiences in sobriety here just a couple of days ago and I had to phone Ryan immediately and tell him about it. Um, my oldest boy right now is 17 um, and he was... He, I don't want to say he was like the brunt of, he experienced me before I was sober, right? More than I think my two younger boys at least recall it, right? My, my oldest can still remember dad party and obviously not to the extent like, you know, he's, he's been insulated from the details of stuff, right? But, uh, he, he knows. And, uh, for the last five years as I've been working through this journey of recovery, you know, I'm, I'm trying to talk to him. And, and like I said, you know, I spent so much time glorifying the party and making it seem awesome that mm-hmm. I was, you know, I still hold a lot of resentment to myself that I planted that seed in my kids. Yeah. And so I almost feel like I've got to undo that damage. Right. And, uh, and I was never sure if I was doing it right. Cause he's 17. I mean, mm-hmm. I, at the same time, I don't want to like lecture him and tell him, you know, he's, he's 17. He's a, He's going to go experience life. He's going to go try some drugs. He's going to go drinking. These are natural things, right? And I, and I don't want to d- deny him that experience because it's part of growing up, right? And I know you're rolling your eyes already, mom, but. Um, <laughs> they can hear that, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but um, something really cool happened a couple of days ago. And, and you know what? For this whole time, especially since like OCJ really kicked off. I mean, my kid knew I was going to. I was, uh, we were pretty transparent about, you know, dad's got a problem. He's going to meetings, you know, they, they know, they know I'm an alcoholic. They know I'm a drug addict. They know, they know that. Um, but since OCJ kind of kicked off, you know, they, they really get to see the, the trying to make a difference in the community, trying to support other people. And there's been days that like, I've got plans with one of the boys and somebody calls and reaches out for help. And I got to tell my kid, I'm like, listen, man, I got to go. Like, I got to go help this person. And what's cool is they get it and they're like, no, 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 you know, like go do what you need to do. My oldest though, he's always been kind of standoffish with me for sure. And I didn't know if that was like resentment or what, what, you know, what caused that. But, uh, a couple of days ago, he, he texts me and he goes, dad, I was talking with one of my friends and, uh, and they're really struggling right now. Can I give them your number or can you get a hold of them? And I was like, <laughs> blew my mind. Who is right? this? Well, I'm like, so like, I was so proud. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One that he was like, I wouldn't have had those conversations about feelings and emotions with my buddies at 17. No. You know, I wouldn't have been like, dude, are you okay? Like, are you struggling? Do you need some help? Those mm-hmm. conversations wouldn't have happened to my social yeah. circle. Right. And then. To have him recognize that I could help, 
like it was like okay, it was a bit of vindication almost, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And it was like, man, I'm so proud of this kid for how he's handled this. And like without pumping any ego, I'm like, you know, okay, I am mm-hmm. I am undoing the damage, yep. right? Yep. I am it is working, right? As much as I wasn't sure for you know that yep. one thing, I was like, no, he is paying attention. He is recognizing what I'm doing. Yeah. And uh, it was it was a really cool experience, and, and it was just different. It was like, okay, you know, we we talk about all the time trying to do better for our kids and build a better environment. And, you know, we talk about the masculinity piece and the vulnerability, and I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, like you know, th- those changes are happening in with my kids and I can see it. And, uh, yeah, it was a really, really cool day. Yeah. I remember when you phoned me a few days ago and told me that story, I was, man, I was sitting down and I was thinking that is the coolest thing I've heard, right? They are watching and, and we always knew that now they're watching the right things. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's making a difference for sure, man. As much as his words and his eyes at times are like, nope, you're an idiot. You don't know shit. <laughs> there is some message getting through, right? Yeah. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, the insight of children, I know that uh, at one time I was told by one of my grandkids that they don't like those people at the parties and I said, oh, why is that? Because they look at you, but they can't really see you. Wow. And I wow. thought, oh, yeah, that's yeah. Exactly, exactly what a person yeah. who's had too much to drink looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Is that one of my kids? Yeah. Yeah. He was six. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow, hey. Six. Yeah, isn't that mm-hmm. something? Hey? Yeah. You know, and I've shared this story with Rick before that when I took my oldest son out to Vancouver to a treatment center last year, we sat down and had some of the coolest conversations in a restaurant and on the airplane and these things. And that story reminded me of this one where my son, you know, he brought it up. He's 22 and he brought it up when he was 10, 12 years old. He had a friend sleeping over and he remembers me coming home, loaded out of my mind on whatever night it was and falling down Mm -hmm. the stairs and laughing and thinking it was funny and all these things. Right. And that was the most embarrassing thing that ever happened to him at that time. And he's like, but don't worry, dad, it's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, obviously it's not, this is 12 years later and you're telling me this story. Mm-hmm. So obviously it's really bothered you and you've carried this for a long time, but I never realized that. Well, like, did you even remember it happened? No, like, I didn't no. know. We but, even had stairs. <laughs> <laughs> we had stairs in the house. <laughs> but yeah, it's things like that, right? They're always watching. And, uh, that was a real eye opener for me hearing that story and seeing it, you know, how it was still impacting him sitting at that table at 22 years old that. Wow. Mm-hmm. He's learned a lot. He learned a lot. And your, your children will too. He's mm-hmm. learned, he said that to me. Last time he was home in Swift Current, just this last time, he said to me, I said something to him and he said, Nana. He said, I'm not doing any of that anymore. I said, I know you're not, honey. I understand that. I totally believe you. I trust you. He said, I know you do. I said, I just, I just wondered if you checked into well, getting to any meetings or anything because you did talk to dad about it once in a while. No, I, I don't think I need it. I said, okay. But remember, I'm always here. Mm-hmm. Dad's always there. Anytime you need to talk to somebody, okay, if you feel, because he's living at his aunt's place and he's not going to open up. I know he's not. Mm-hmm. But you know, he said, you know what, Nana? I learned a lot from Dad. And watching Dad and talking to Dad and seeing Dad, he said, I've learned an awful lot. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, okay. So I said, you know what's right and what's wrong. And I said, and you know, I shouldn't even say that what's right and what's wrong, Jess, because everybody's different. But I said, I'm, I'm glad that you can admit that you've learned a lot from your dad. Nope. He said, I'll be okay. I'll be okay, Nana. I promise. <laughs> and what's interesting, I think, is like a lot of the lessons that we might have taught him was clearly starting off with what not to do, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> a pretty clear example of what not to do, mm-hmm. but then the, the ability to change the narrative, right? And I remember, I remember talking to somebody shortly after, actually it was when I was in the psych ward on suicide watch. Not that I should be giggling about that, but, um, relatable. (laughs) (laughs) Um, when I was sitting in the psych ward, somebody said to me, they said, you know, if you would have went through with this, the only lesson you would have left with your kids is it's okay to quit. Mm -hmm. It's okay to quit. And he's like, and now you get to change that narrative from it's okay to quit to no matter how dark it gets, you can write a comeback story. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that stuck with me. Yeah. And they went like, 
today, as shitty as today is, and I've used this line, I don't know how many times, right? Today is the first day of the next chapter of the book. And that book would have ended yesterday if you wanted it to, mm-hmm. or if, you know, the universe or whatever, if, if it would have played out like you'd planned, that book would be over today. Yeah. Now we're starting the next chapter and that's the comeback story. Yeah. Right. And it was so, and again, like we talked about this this morning when we were talking about the college, right. Is, um, at that time when I was, when I was on that mindset that I was, I was better off not being here. It was genuinely with the thought that, you know, everybody was better off without me. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a selfish decision. It was, you know, and I get it. It was delusional and I was in a bad mindset and, you know, but my perception of it at the time was that the world was a better place without me in it. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't selfish at all. But when I remember talking to that person and then as they said, you know, the lesson you get to teach them now, it's, it doesn't matter how bad it gets. You can come back. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how dark it got. You get to decide when you're going to start writing a comeback story. <clears throat> right. And it was, uh, that kind of stuck with me. And I think that gave me a lot of strength moving forward and, and continuing. Right. Yep. And a bit of accountability too, like even to this day, right. Is I can't, I can't go back on that. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I, I can't, I can't fall again. Like I can't. Mm-hmm. Well, because you learned that lesson. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. I, yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. We yeah. both have, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So true. And, and odds are, if you fall, I'm going with you. So don't do it. Oh, <laughs> <fuck>. <laughs> <laughs> no. And that's the beauty of having a support network, right? Of, of like-minded people who, you know, they have your back. Cause I don't know how many times Rick phones me or I phone him and our brains still have a way of making crazy thoughts seem logical. And, but we have this sounding board now where we phone each other and we're like, Hey, does this sound crazy? Yeah. That's really bizarre. Get that out of your mind. I'm glad you phoned me type yeah. thing. Right. Or, or no, I'm exactly in the same mindset you are. So let's go. What's the action piece. Let's figure this out together. And, and in the old days we didn't have that. No, we had friends that. This are is are you awesome. holding? Yep. Okay. I'm coming over. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. How many beer do you have in the fridge? Yeah. Do I need to bring a box? Yeah. Right. And odds are the answer was always yes. Yeah. Bring a box. But the conversations we have now are genuine conversations and, and it really helps, you know, in my opinion, the conversations that I have with you, the conversations I have with other people in recovery help me communicate with the rest of the world. And it's that open, vulnerable piece that we often speak about in recovery. When we share our stories with each other, we share our experiences, it's open and honest and it's Nobody really gives a shit about what other people think anymore, you know, speaking from our standpoint. And, uh, that's been the beauty of it is nobody really gives a shit. I don't really care if somebody likes me anymore. Whereas before I hung my hat on that, everybody had to like me or I was worthless. I was, wasn't worthy of love, this and that. Right. But now it's like, "Mm, this is who I am. And if you don't like me, I probably shouldn't be hanging out with you anyway. And I think that's helped me deal with my family, with my kids, with everything. Right. And, and just trying to instill that value in my kids and that self-worth in them is it's work. It's a work in progress. You know, and I can look back at that honestly, and especially like the driving around in cars thing. Right. Yeah. I remember a lot of drives to, you know, to soccer games or whatever. My father was a railroader. He, he wasn't, he didn't, he wasn't really, and it's shitty to say, but it's, it's true. Like he wasn't really an active participant in our family. Right. He was, right. he was a guy that would show up and then be gone again. Right. And on call 24 seven. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what do you do? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there was a lot of time where, you know, mom was both mom and dad and taking me to sports and doing this and trying to be the best that she could be. And so there was a lot of times in cars and I do remember having a lot of honest conversations. Right. And it was a time to be vulnerable. And even at that time, like, I think, you know, I think I was young enough that I wasn't quite in as deep as I got, obviously, um, but it was the closest to honest. I think I was not to say that it was honest, right? I was still half full of shit mm-hmm. at least. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think it was the closest to honest I ever was with anybody yeah. for the next 30 years. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty, it's pretty cool and pretty sad at the same time. Yeah. Right. That. I never felt comfortable enough to be the closest, the closest comfortable I ever 
felt to be vulnerable was only a half truth with my mother and nobody else. Mm -hmm. So thanks for being there for half of the bullshit. Right. (laughs) But at the same time, it's like, fuck, it was so superficial and fake. Well, like I said earlier, though, I think we, we as parents can recognize who our children actually are. And not that I for sure recognized the crap you were putting out (laughs) as that all the time. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, but uh, I think, and, you know, we're old enough that we can say, okay, well, your maturity level is this. And so I will believe 50% of what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty interesting. Um, Yeah. I'm just still sitting here thinking, man, how do we end up with our moms in the podcast studio? (laughs) That's pretty cool to hear. I think back to when Ryan, Kerry always wanted Ryan to be a superstar. He thought that Ryan was a superstar, especially in hockey. (laughs) And right from the time he was little, he started halfway through the first year and Kerry was one, you take something all the way to the end, you don't quit. That's mm-hmm. the way he was brought up, and that's the way Ryan was being brought up. And I'll never forget him trying to do circles backwards while mm-hmm. all the rest of the kids were over there doing something else. And Ryan was crying, cry. Mom, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. <laughs> no, you got to go. You got to go. But anyways, I remember as he got older, so many hockey. And Kerry, he knew. He knew he had done wrong things on the ice. So he'd come out of the dressing room and, let's go, Mom. Let's go, Mom. <laughs> because I, I wouldn't go early with them when they were going. He didn't want to drive home with Dad. He just mm-hmm. didn't want to because he just felt that he couldn't reach up to those. <clears throat> you know, and I think back to when it, everything all started, you know. And it was in the car, a lot of it, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. And then I can't imagine what he went through in the oil fields. Yeah. <clears throat> so. Yeah, I remember that story you were talking about. I remember leaving the rink lots of times um, and wanting to ride home with you because when that first started, I could I, I had scored three goals that game, and I remember making an, a really horrible pass and went offside, and and that's all I heard about on the way home was yelling like, "What a fucking stupid play that was!" And never heard anything about, "Man, you scored three goals today. You played you amazing." Me. No, I did. <laughs> I think that's that boosted my ego. That's why I wanted to ride with you. <laughs> like you are so awesome, son. <laughs> but no, and that's when that started. I I can distinctly remember that, and I remember when I was about. I think nine or 10 years old, I, I quit hockey for a year you did. because I said, uh, I said, um, I just didn't like it, but I remember being so scared in those early days of my dad. He used to tie my skates for me and he tied them so fucking tight. I couldn't feel my feet after five minutes, but I was too scared to tell him that. So I just, it was easier to quit than to tell him that my skates were too tight and I quit for a year. And then, you know, I eventually went back and played, but it was one of those things where that was instilled in me early on was, you know, parenting through I know he loved me oh my god I know he loved me but it was like parenting through fear on his part that it was his way I you do what I say and don't fucking ever question it (laughs) and I remember those days right and it's not I don't know if he's listening today (laughs) um it's not pointing blame at anybody right we still love you (laughs) absolutely (laughs) but yeah that's I can remember those days and that's how the bar was set high and you're a man's man we talk about this all the time we don't talk about our feelings uh, and you fix your own problems, right? And you, and you fight and you get through things and you do it yourself. And, and that was the value system. And that was the, the beliefs, the core beliefs I had growing up. And yeah, it's, it's crazy to think about nowadays for sure. Well, with any, every generation, don't you think there's, a, we are on a learning spectrum, hopefully here in, on this earth. And like I was brought up in that children are to be seen, not heard. Mm-hmm. Huh? And so you wind up being 17 and 18 years old and you think you don't have a voice at all, you know, that's changing. Yeah. It changed with your generation and hopefully with the next generation, a little bit more, yeah, a little bit more brilliance will come through. And I know Rick and I talk about this lots, how we parented, you know, back when our kids were young and, you know, there's moments where we're proud, moments we're not proud about it, but. You know, that's just what we knew at the time, right? And I I feel very mm-hmm. fortunate nowadays, and Rick thinks I'm completely off my rocker, but I have a, a six-month-old <laughs> six at home, right? And, uh, <laughs> and he's so adorable. He is. Mm-hmm. But I look now at the stuff I've learned in the last seven years in recovery and the, and the self-reflection pieces and the stuff that 
it was so foreign to me growing up and f- so foreign to me even as a young adult. And I look at that now and I know that I'm going to parent 100% different than I ever have in my life because I just know better. And I didn't know better then. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those things like you were saying, right? The generations change and I'm just trying my luck in this generation now. Mm-hmm. One of the things he said is, Ollie, you're never playing hockey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, in the end, you still bring up this human being that will have their own mind. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. they'll want their own independence and you have to let them go, which is hard. Very yeah. hard, yeah. Mm-hmm. It really is. I remember with my oldest son, he's 22 now. So, yes, any listeners who are out there listening, I have a 22-year-old and a six-month-old. It sounds bizarre, but... Like I yeah, said, he loves he's, it. He, he like I said, he's batshit crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember grounding him when he was, I don't know, 15, maybe 14. And you can imagine how that goes over, right? <laughs> and uh, he was grounded. And I remember I was in the kitchen fooling around, getting something ready. And I heard him coming up the stairs and here he had a backpack and he was going out with his buddies. And I'm like, dude, you're grounded. And he's like, no, I'm not. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, what am I going to do? <laughs> like, what do you do? In that moment, right? Mm-hmm. It, so I just laid it out there. If you choose to leave, you don't get to come back. But he can go to Nana's. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I, I look at all those things that I did, and at the time I thought they were right, and I don't know if they were right or wrong, but that's what I knew to do at the time. And now I look back, would I have done it differently? I probably would have done a lot of things differently, but mm-hmm. it all led to today, and here we are sitting today, right? And everybody's on their own journey, and that includes our kids too when they get old enough, mm-hmm. like we've heard today. Mm. That includes us too. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're definitely on our own journey. Totally. For sure. So, yeah. Oh, my goodness. How is that journey today? It's pretty good. <laughs> what does pretty good mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, like we did talk about this this morning a little bit at the college, right? Is um, is is how this addiction, like there's, there's many victims of it, right? It's yeah. not just like mm-hmm. I'm an addict and it affected me. It's like, mm-hmm. no, no, no. You know, so like my path to recovery, you're on a path, you know, and I'm pointing at my mom, right? Like Mm -hmm. everybody here, my wife, my kids, everybody's on a path of my recovery, right? They were all a victim. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe victim's not the right, well, it's probably the right word, actually. (laughs) We held them hostage very much. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. I mean, they were, they were affected by my addiction and Mm -hmm. now we're all on a road to recovery and all on our own journey. And there was different damages done to different people and, and that you know, like that road to recovery doesn't look the same for everybody, yeah. right? But No, I mean you could almost say that we're on our road to recovery as well, That's getting right. getting over your mm-hmm. ad- addi- addictive behavior. Um but do you ever really get over it? You know? I I think you have to move past it for your own yeah. mental health. Um, it's just that little question mark. There is always that yeah. question mark. Like, you know, when someone tells you, when your son tells you that I was going to commit suicide, yeah. it's like a knife in the heart. It and is. it's pretty hard to pull that knife out and be sure that you're good, you know. Mm-hmm. So you do have that yeah. to look look your way through. Yeah. Um, but Ryan, you talk often about the action piece, you know. And I think it's Deepak Chokra that said... That happiness requires the action so that you don't get future disease. So I can see what that means, you know, that my happiness has to be my actions. Mm-hmm. So, and the same goes for you guys. For sure. Yeah. And anybody else, you know, there, we're all on our own journey, like you That's said, right. Linda. We are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just because we're older. 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 Yeah. Just I didn't say old. I said just because we're older, that doesn't mean the journey stops. No. Yeah. Because every day it's, you know, it's a new day, right? Mm-hmm. So that journey keeps going on. And For it sure. and it does change. There's no doubt about it. Right. Yeah. So But older usually goes with wiser. Yeah. It does. It does. <laughs> so Yeah. I've asked myself many times why couldn't I have been that wise? Yeah. Ten, fifteen years ago. So yeah. Uh. Well, we are getting close to the end of our hour here. So, um, it's a long 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> how, how was it, Paula? Did you start to settle in? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah I thought it was great, actually. Nice. Mm-hmm. It's not so bad. Yeah. Other than you struggling with your headset a few times. Yeah, that's all right. I, don't, <laughs> I never have like earphones or anything. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I guess what I'll ask you, ladies, is we do, like I said, we do have a lot of parents 
that reach out about their kids. Um, do, do you have any advice for them? What, what, you know, if, if somebody came up to you and asked you about your experience, what would you be able to share with them? I think, go ahead. No, you, you <laughs> open in honesty. That's, I, I don't think you can talk to your kids after going through all of them come to this point in my life. I don't think you can ever talk to your kids enough. Now, whether or not you can get them to open up to you, I don't, I don't know. But you've just, you just got to be there and listen to them. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you sense that something isn't right, you don't have to badger them or anything. Just let them know that, you know, you're there and that they can talk to you about anything. Yeah. You know, I didn't have that when I was growing up and I'm, I know. That. <laughs> so I think that's just a whole different avenue again. And I think it's a wonderful thing. So, wow. Yeah, I totally agree that it is just the willingness to listen yeah. to where your yeah. kids are at this point and hopefully just direct them a little bit. Yeah. You know, yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It can, yeah, all you can do is try, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that you're going to succeed, but it sure helps a lot. But yeah. it is right that you have to maintain your own health yeah. through this mm-hmm. because I know that uh, in the past I haven't been as good at that as I. I'm getting better at now. <laughs> so, yeah. Because you get you tend to get mired in their problems, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. But in order to be healthy enough to help them, you have to be healthy. For sure. Definitely. Definitely. And I think that's a huge piece that we run into a lot when people reach out and they want, you know, what can I do to help support my son or my daughter or my spouse or whatever, right? And it's this enmeshment where they're so enmeshed with it's almost borderline on that codependency piece, right? And, and mm-hmm. I'm going to fix them. And mm-hmm. it's that piece around <clears throat> looking after yourself first. That's a lot of the advice that we give people, right? Is what are we doing to stay healthy yourself? Because if you're down that rabbit hole with them, it's very tough to get back out mm-hmm. yourself, let alone help them get out of the hole, right? So mm-hmm. I think looking after yourself is a big piece. And, uh, you know, I'm going to jump in here too, because I have a son that, you know, struggled with addiction as well and substance abuse and whatnot. And I think it was that listening piece, right? Like you said, mom, it was, you know, not talking to him anymore. It's, it's talking with him, having a two-way conversation and actually just listening to understand what he's going through. Because when he's going through his problems with addiction, that's way different than when I went through my problems, right? And that generations have changed, the Mm -hmm. social media's changed, everything has changed, right? So what's Mm -hmm. his addiction is way different than mine and his obstacles are a lot different than what I went through. So obviously what I did to come out of it isn't going to necessarily work for you, but helping him and just, yeah, letting him know I'm there anytime he needs it 24 hours a day. And I'm just going to listen, dude, I'm going to support you. And I can't fix what's wrong with you. Just like nobody could fix what was wrong with me, but you don't have to do it alone. And I think that's the coolest piece that this whole journey has taught me is that you spoke about it this morning, community, right? Figuring out who your community is and and getting support because addiction is all about isolation and, denial and dishonesty and just all the nasty shit that comes with it. And when you find that like-minded, that network of support, whether it's your parents, whether it's OCJ, whatever it is, you got people on your side and you don't have to come out of the darkness on your own. Cause that's a terrifying place to be. For sure. Well put. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess, you know, in, in closing, I guess it would only be right to say thank you for for being there when it genuinely felt like nobody else was mm-hmm. you know in, in that darkest moment the one place i knew i could go and still be welcome and like don't get me wrong welcome but with a lecture but <laughs> but welcome was yeah. back at home with mom right i knew mm-hmm. i knew you instilled that for sure no matter what i did you would love me and you'd be there for me yeah, and I guess I want to say thank you for coming to me because you could have not. That's right. Yeah. 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 Wow. Dave, if you're listening, it's cue up uh, Ozzy Osbourne, my mom coming home. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, bud. <laughs> well, yeah, I just want to reiterate what what, uh, what Rick said. I appreciate you ladies taking time out of your schedule and your days to come and hang out with us two donkeys a little bit more and just share your wisdom and insights and experience with the listeners. Cause hundred percent guarantee there's other mothers out there right now dealing with what you two have been through. And this could be so, well, I know it will be so valuable to at least one listener out there. 
you know, you're not alone. And if our moms can get through it, I'm sure we can help you uh, navigate through your situation as well. And thanks for coming on today. I know you were both a little bit anxious and a little bit nervous and it's pretty cool to sit in the podcast studio with our moms. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for getting uncomfortable and, and stepping up to come in here. I know it's something we've talked about for a while and pretty, pretty special day, I think. I'm going to say thank you, actually, for asking us to. Mm-hmm. For ask, you know, yeah, for sure. I think even though as nervous as I was, I, I was happy that you could come and ask us to come. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, like it's... I said, at the end of the day, you know, I know at least for me, if, if you if you would have not been there, I was out of options. <laughs> and so yeah. everything from that moment forward, it's because you were there. Mm-hmm. Right? And then Absolutely. includes... What OCJ's become, it includes the man I become, the father I become. If you weren't there that day, if you weren't the only one left with your door open, I wouldn't be here today. Thanks, moms. Thanks, moms. <laughs> <laughs> but we did something right, didn't we? I guess so. Yeah. yeah. That's a pretty good ending, I think. Yeah. The end. The end. <laughs> From Darkness to Life is an Our Collective Journey podcast. These are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please consider supporting OCJ by visiting ourcollectivejourney.ca and clicking donate. All proceeds go to supporting the health and wellness of people in our community. Hosted by members of Our Collective Journey. Produced by Rob Pape. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a plugged-in media network exclusive. Thank you for listening.